you're about to enter seventh heaven. If you like this pod, then you can show your support by rating us five stars and hitting that little subscribe button to help us climb the pod rankings and spread the sevens gospel. If you're looking for extra content, you can go to our YouTube page or our social channels, Twitter and Instagram, our handle at seventh heaven pod. Again, like, subscribe, share, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Konnichiwa to your celestial one-stop pod for all things Rugby Sevens. That's right, you're back in seventh heaven and it's in the land of the rising sun. Now, I'm Bernsey, but Mitch, Chip and Bert are presently indisposed, but I have got a couple of good guests with me to kick off our Olympic coverage where we're going to preview the men's pools with the Olympics kicking off on Monday. I've got one of the voices of... The World Series former England Sevens captain Rob Vickerman and Olympic silver medalist Rory McConaughey. Two lads who've been on the pod before. So it is Konbanwa to you, Vix, and Ohio Gozimasu to you, Rory, back in England. Lads, welcome to Seventh Heaven. <laughs> Hello, mate. Good to see you. You probably don't have to tell Rory much Japanese because he obviously picked up quite a bit last time he was in, uh, in Japan when he was in the coffee shops. <laughs> Amongst other things. I learned a lot of the social side in Japan. Yeah. Great bars, great ramen houses. I don't really know much about the stadiums. (laughs) (laughs) No. Say that, you could probably buy one now, mate, so you'd be all right. Well, look, we're in quarantine at the moment, but we get let out in a few days' time. So what are some of the... Some of the non-negotiable sites in Tokyo, seeing as you had so much time on your hands last time you were here, Ross. I think you go... Shinjuku area is awesome. Shibuya Crossing is good for the tourists. And if you can, get down to Harajuku. Very, very edgy. Very Burnsy, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot, lot of decent coffee shops, actually. You might be a bit disappointed, though, that your shirt might not stand out as much in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I'll put this, I put this on specially for the pod, and I should tell are they, all the are listeners. They the, are they the jamas that they leave on the bed for you? <laughs> Maybe we get maybe we get a fresh set of jammies every day in the hotel. They're sort of like ninja ninja jammies, uh, which is fantastic. Two of them are in my bag already. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've put on a special shirt. I think I should probably tell all the listeners that I'm currently isolating in my hotel room because I've got a close contact on the plane. So that's probably why they're talking about potentially cancelling the Olympics. But good news is I'm going to be back out in time on Wednesday for finals day for the men's. So it's all worked out nicely. Unbelievable. I'm glad you said that because I was going to rinse you that you've had potentially the worst trip to Japan so far. Yeah, broken laptop as well. So, um, <laughs> right, boys, should we talk a bit of sevens? I want to start with you, Rory, because you've been out to an Olympics. You've done it. You've got the silver T-shirt. So just give us like a sense of how it was back then and what you think the players are going to be going through sort of psychologically and in their preparation at the moment? Um, I think first you go, it's, it's so different in terms of like, obviously the world and the environment that they're in at the moment. Um, but I think it's just like sheer, sheer excitement, especially, you know, I saw videos of them going to village yesterday. Like I remember that moment, like walking into village for the first time, like it's honestly like 
sort of like a kid in a sweet shop. Like there's so many different things to look at. Um, all these sort of superstar athletes walking around that you've seen on TV for the last sort of five or six years. Um, and then, yeah, getting getting into your, the GB sort of block of flats that, that there is. Like every, most other nations will like be sharing these huge apartment blocks with other nations in, in, the, in the games. But the big, the big stars like GB, US, I think China, Australia all seem to have their own block of flats. So it's like 200 odd athletes all in the same building. And it's, it's quite cool when you're sort of walking down and going down the lifts in the morning and you're bumping into these guys like, like the big, the big time cyclists or the tennis players that you see like on the 80, on the world tour and stuff. And they're, they're in the same gear as you and you're all looking after the same thing. And how many autographs did you get as a Norse <laughs> Superbomb? <laughs> that was probably the toughest part of my Olympic Games. It was just holding in my inner nose and just not asking everyone for a selfie. You're just pissed off half of the GB team. It was just a bit embarrassing when you kept hanging around Sonny Bill Williams, was it? <laughs> or just following Andy Murray to the to the laundry laundry room every night. Oh, it's too too much information there, Ross. <laughs> no, you, you and Sir Andy. <laughs> Did he make you call him Sir? Anyway, um, <laughs> um, who was who was the biggest per- famous person you met when you're out in Rio? Uh, that we met was probably either Andy Murray or like Bradley Wiggins. Like Bradley Wiggins at the time was like an absolute rock star and stuff. Um, I remember me and Phil Burgess uh, after the game sort of <laughs> downing pints of gin and tonic with him. And you're like, oh, he's actually a normal bloke and like <laughs> just a legend. Um, yeah, but no, it's probably him. Like you see all these other stars like in, in like the food hall there is unbelievable, right? It's, like I remember in Rio, it was like just a, one long, massive marquee. Um, and you see all the nations like sitting everywhere about. And um, yeah, you could see all the big, big names in there. Um, like the Usain Bolt, like walking in. He was there. He was in the village for like two days. And like he was getting mobbed by other athletes. Like literally couldn't go anywhere without uh, people asking for selfies. Me at the front of the line, of course. But like and asking for signatures and like in the end he he left the village and stayed in like a private apartment outside um just because like he couldn't go anywhere without being mobbed. Get a restraining order on you. Yeah. Uh, just to talk in there about the neck of the gin and tonics. If anybody hasn't seen the consequences <laughs> of you necking those gin and tonics, they must catch your interview you did on BBC Breakfast the next morning, where you, you put Freddie Flint off into some sort of sobriety camp. <laughs> I am honestly I'm, I'm happy but I'm also surprised like it hasn't been picked up I think I think it was like Coventry Live that showed it I think they all just assumed I was sober and it just passed off as normal a normal interview for their standards but um, yeah I yeah, no idea how it didn't get further than it did it's alright it's alright Rawls we, we've got it we'll get it we'll get it up there this weekend just to refresh everybody how to receive a medal if and when people get it Levix, you've been out here, what, three days now? So you're almost through your hard quarantine. What's, what's your feeling surrounding the Olympics and the sevens? It is the scale. Uh, and Rory touched there from the athlete's point of view, but I, mean, I think there's 9,000 athletes. Um, there's 10,000 journalists and broadcasters, or actually there should have been. I think what? they called that about 25%. What, me- 7,500 people. Media folk like you and I, Vix. Yeah, operators, people who actually turn up and do work <laughs> rather than just sitting in a hotel room. 
Um, so it's it's just phenomenal. And, and like the international element of it, like you've got every nation represented playing and competing, but also that entails a massive broadcasting team alongside it. So it's, it's pretty special to see and to witness. Obviously, it's unique and different at the moment, which is slightly bizarre, but needs must. Needs must. But look, the action is going to get underway on Monday. And there's been a few COVID complications. So we've had the South African team caught close contact. We had the Russian women, the Kenyan women. And probably the biggest story is Neil Powell, the South African coach, isn't going to be present for the entirety of the Olympics. In fact, I think he's, he's going back to South Africa, isn't he? So they're going to be without their figurehead for the entirety of the games. That's massive. Do you know what? First and foremost, and I understand, you know, the regulations, policies and the danger of it. And you only have to look at um, Leva Mashavili, who's the Georgian coach. He's currently on an, uh, he's some sort of um, high dependency ward in South Africa. So we know the severity of it. But can we just con- comprehend how sad that is for Neil Powell that, he has been building and building and building to this and subsequently is not able to see his team that he's developed perform at the top level. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. It really is bad. Yeah, and, and especially with a team that I think probably in the last two years, some of those real senior, senior figures playing-wise have moved on either to 15s or they've got actually retired, like the likes of Carl Brown, or uh, Phil Snayman have sort of retired. Um, actually, you look at their leadership in the team, like how many guys, maybe Chris Stride, their captain, Soizwapi. But outside of that, a lot of those guys have been brought in in the last sort of two years and actually still very young. And they're a nation who are almost like teacher and pupil. Like they are very much told what to do and how to do it. And, you know, we'll address him as coach all the time. Very yeah. formal. Um, which is fine, it works for them. But when you then remove him from that equation, it's going to be really tough for them to cope. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys who he the camera's always on him when it's half-time in a game of sevens on the series. It's very rarely focused on the players. All the messaging is coming from him. He's the figurehead. Whereas with other teams, you see it as a bit more collaborative. So totally hear what you're saying on the, on the teacher and pupil, Vix. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to have to adjust to. I mean, the, the other thing is, on the Flyer 7s, it's so short, so fast, so frantic. Sometimes you need that little bit of composure on the sideline to know when to make these substitutions. And now they're not going to have that, first and foremost. There's obviously Ashley who can step up and their team are able to facilitate those changes. But actually, tactically, it's a very different thing. And the strength of South Africa is usually how 1-13, to 13, they're all equally as good. Um, so it'd be very difficult to see how they manage that. Um, another another big talking point coming into the games, this is just generally, we're going to get into the pool by pool in a second, but it is the travelling reserve situation and the number of players within the squad and how you select them. Does someone want to clear that up? I'm, I'm looking at you, Ross, but I'm waiting for Vic to open his mouth. <laughs> You're looking at me because that's, that's the only reason I got into the Olympics last time. But um, No, Vic, Vic's can, yeah. Vicks can sum that up for me. I, I've confused myself trying to read over it in the last few days. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I think you just have an option of, of the 13 rather than the 12 is set. Normally, the 13th person only comes into play if there's an injury uh, or concussion or whatever, whereas now actually is able to be picked per game. Uh, so a little bit more flux around it. Yeah, so like, how, how, do you, how would you see that affecting the squads then, Laurie? 
that you've got um, 13, but you've got 13 players and then you're picking 12 per game. But like, surely that changes the dynamic massively. Yeah, I, th- I think it probably helps and they can pick a side that they feel is best for the opposition they've got. Um, but also, I think it's going to be a detriment to some of the guys that have come out with 13 players and that's it. I know, I know Great Britain have only come out with 13, but you look at, I think Fiji have come out with 15 or maybe 16 players. So actually, if someone gets injured from the GB camp, they don't have another person to bring in on top of those 13. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's obviously, it's the teams that have come out with more players, it's going to be a help. But um, for some of the guys that have only, maybe if it's budget, maybe it's choice, but only come out with 13, it could sort of bite them in the arse a bit. Well, you say that GB don't have anyone else to choose from, Brawls. Oh but there he goes. But, boots. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I've got my boots fixed. Have you got yours? <laughs> Not much point, mate, with my knee at the moment. Like the, <laughs> we've got one and a half sausage legs. I mean, so Rod is in the he... last Olympics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we do just a job. Oh, wouldn't it be the ultimate fairy tale, lads, to see me out there winning gold for GB? <laughs> Out there, you can't even get out of your room, mate. (laughs) Just for the final. Just for the final. I'm a final specialist. (laughs) Good on the big cage, big occasions in front of the big crowds. Right, should we uh should we smash through the teams pool by pool and have a look at who's gonna make it? You're gonna tell me who your key players are, and we're probably at the end, you're gonna give me your predictions of who you think is gonna win. One night and have one high, one high, one high, one high, one high, one high. So Starting with Pool A, let's talk about the teams individually. We got New Zealand, Australia, Argentina, South Korea. Where do you want to start with that lot, Rawls? Um, I'd say it's, it's it's very hard to look past New Zealand as as those group winners. I think um, you just look at the the sheer sort of strength and depth they have in their players. Like even, even with Sam Dixon dropping out in the last few days, I think they're just the individual talent they have there. They have over the years. Is just crazy. They could bring in two guys that had just been out of school, sort of thing, at eighteen, and they could come in and tear up on the World Series. Um, so I think I think they're going to be they're going to be the big threats. I can't see that group actually looking any different to the way it's laid out. So New Zealand topping it, Australia second, Argentina third, and South Korea potentially being the whipping boys of all three. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. I think when you look at how Australia went in Oceania, fared better than you probably thought they would actually looking at it with both Fiji and New Zealand um, pretty hot going into those tournaments. I think, you know, you've got the X factor of Karevi. That's exciting, not just because he's a massive 15s name, but you put any Fijian-type player into that type of team, it's going to improve it. I know our best years with England always had a couple of Fijians in and around the team. So I think that's a massive adage, and he hopefully will help. But very hard to look past New Zealand. And and again, as they always seem to do, peaking for the big games. You know, they're, they're basically at this point reigning Commonwealth champions as well as series champions so you know they can turn it on when they need to won the last couple of world cups as well yeah and that's not and that's not looking past argentina i think yeah. like argentina are, are a very good sky and seriously hard to beat just because they they just scrap it out and they're they're so dogged um and you know you know they almost beat us in the last in the last olympics in that quarter final so it's like that they're, they're just as good as any other side in the day and they can make it very, very difficult for you. But I just think the strength and depth that New Zealand and the games that Australia played over the last few months have yeah, have it in their favour. I was getting hammered on that game because throughout the whole commentary, Ian Robertson, who was leading the comms for Five Live, was going, uh, have you ever had a nil-nil game in seven? So, Don't be stupid, Robbo. It's not going to be nil-nil. There's never a nil-nil. There's never, ever been a nil-nil. And then cue, cue it being a nil-nil. And then for all money... <laughs> 
<laughs> you would never ever have thought Ravel would miss a drop goal like he's one of the best place kickers, drop kickers, whatever, and shanked it. I was like, oh my god, this is a nightmare. Yeah. Four minutes into extra tight into the golden point, Bibbs dives over, didn't god. he? So it was crazy, crazy scenes. But that's yeah. right, that's what Argentina can do because they just don't give up ever, ever. Do you think as well they they've hardly lost the game in 2021? I know they I know that the Madrid and Dubai tournaments went all that crash hot, but they went well in Los Angeles the other day as well against GB and USA. Would you have them as dark horses? Could they go all the way, or is it a stretch too far? Um, I would, I'd never say it's a stretch too far. They, they probably don't have they don't have the history of winning the big tournaments, and maybe that counts against them. But they've got the same they've had the similar squad for the last few years. Um, like not much has changed. A few new good decent players like a decent young playmaker comes in but like Revol is their captain he just keeps I don't know how old he is now but he just keeps going and keeps keeps being the gutsiest bloke out there um and you know they've got I think it's uh Schultz back one of their forwards who's a decent decent player um so they do have a lot of firepower but it's just it's just do they have that sort of X factor that some of the New Zealand players some of the Australian and players I'd, I'd say probably bar New Zealand who have got a significantly better run-in than any other nation. If you try and neutralise everything, then a team like Argentina do very well because their commitment, effort and endeavour just outdoes everyone. Like if you come down to a game where there is a will to win, you will never beat Argentina with that will. That it's just, it is relentless against them. You know, but... So passionately. The Latin spirit, they say. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. That- that is that special analysis, that last little shred on the Latin spirit, boys. Um, <laughs> what I would, look, I'm going to put this to you about New Zealand. They've had it all their own way. They've beaten Australia a number of times in the Trans-Tasman stuff. They've been the best in the world. But they did lose to Fiji in the Oceania Sevens that just happened. And we all know what happened to them in the last Olympics. Is there is there something to be said that Fiji could have got in their heads and shaken their confidence a little bit? by beating them so close. Just on the last Olympics, just to go a bit more granular on it, New Zealand have never, ever missed a quarterfinal spot in the history of the World 7 Series, 21 years. They were one conversion kick away if Madison Hughes had got it uh, for the USA of being knocked out in the the pool stages um, after they lost to Japan. So that'll be in the back of their mind. They've got enough of those players. I think six of them are returning from that Olympic Games. They'll know that there is pressure on them. They'll know they have to perform. And like I say, with a lot of the things being neutralised, there will be a degree of anxiety around the Kiwis. But going back to that experience, you'd like to think that's probably going to separate them. And in terms of their power, pace, skill, fitness, they're they're right up there. Um, And then, look, an interesting one about Australia and the selection. So you mentioned Samu Karevi coming in. He's never, ever played in Sasha Sevens. He's been playing the last couple of years in Japan. Obviously, we all know what he can do on a 15s field, and I'm pretty sure he's going to go all right in the Olympics. But what about Louis Holland not being selected in the original 12s? That was a massive upset. Like, big, big surprise. Vice captain, he was like one of their talisman in that last season of the World Series and omitted. I mean, that's pretty big. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't even know it had happened. When I, when I saw the Australia team out, I just... I looked at sort of like the main thing, the main names that were in it and stuff, and it didn't even click to me that he would ever even be considered to drop. Like as you said, like his leadership over the last few years, like he, he's a big, he's a big game player for them and has been. Um, but yeah, it's it's obviously a big, it's a big call from 
Tim Welsh, but it's obviously for for a good enough reason. Like they've got a lot of they've got a lot of talent there, and they've had a lot of warm up games to decide this or warm up tournaments. So there's obviously a good reason behind it. He is in, by the way. He is in. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. He is in. He is in yeah. now. But he was. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think when you look at that, second probably only to Ely Green not being picked at all, which was a real shock. Knowing Louis, knowing Walshy, it's a psychological move. Like they've clearly said to him about what he needs to be working on. He's so talismanic, but that can go two ways. And he's, you know, calls himself the old bull among the young books. Um, that can that can have real impact on his game. Psychologically, he's, he's known to not pull his punches as well. I think he is often quite um, outspoken <laughs> in what he thinks. And as a senior player, Walshy would have to know how that impacted the rest of them so I think I saw that as a massive warning shot um, and I'd like to think it's been taken the right way but you just never know with, with Louis it, you know he's a couple of potentially bad plays in games away from losing his, his temper a little bit and that's his best quality because he plays on the edge but also it could be quite detrimental yeah and you and you look at the, the playmakers that they've sort of brought through the last few years like Maurice Longbottom is like world class in his day and just terrifying to try and defend against. And then is it, I think it's Lockie Miller in the last sort of season or so he's come in. And I, I think he's absolutely class. I think the stuff he does, like just all round game, I think is awesome and like brings so much more to their attacking game. So it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough team to get into, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see them go just not too well. So it's a long story short. New Zealand, Australia, and Argentina to progress. Say a prayer for South Korea. <laughs> um, right. That's good. I think we should probably give that a bit more respect because you, you've obviously written that a while ago. That was fantastic. I uh, literally wrote on spot, but it is, it, is, it is tough for South Korea. I mean, three seasoned top World Series teams. We saw they had a bit of a tough time when they played in LA on the series as well. Um, back when we did have a series, it's going to be really tough for them, but an amazing occasion, right? Yeah, totally. But what is it? Ninety-five percent of people at the games they don't intend to medal. They're just there for a good time, not a long time. Olympic holiday, just like you and you and Ivix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bit like me and you. Yeah, I'm grafting, <laughs> and you're just eating your Uber Eats in your room, <laughs> living the dream. Right. Time for Pool B. Or should we save Pool B for the end because it's got GB in it, or we'll do Pool B now? Depends how biased we I'm want neutral. to be as a... Well, I'll be very biased and say it's the NVIX who wants to do it now. Tell you what, I run yeah. the show here, don't I? So we'll do Pool B now. It's Fiji, Great Britain, Canada and Japan. So Fiji, the Olympic gold medalist. GB, the Olympic silver medalist. Canada, one of the top teams on the series. And Japan, who were very much the surprise package in Rio and the host nation. Juicy, juicy pool. Yeah, where do you start? Um you start with Fiji, I guess, just obviously gold medalists. I was there. The dark, dark <laughs> 14 minutes of my life. <laughs> it was 20 minutes, mate. That was, was part of the problem. Back then? It was indeed. Oh, God. Couldn't have lasted. Were, That's the only were... reason I got on, I think. I got on after 14 minutes. So by 14 minutes, I think you're about 40 points behind. Um, yeah, was it was it was it ten minute for ten minute? That was the only reason yeah, why after. Australia beat New Zealand in the women's because it was calling it all the way through. New Zealand looking amazing. However, Australia looked very fit, and then those extra minutes really played a part. 
Well, yeah, they're pretty good in Rio. Are they going to be as good in Tokyo, Rory? Um, it's hard. It's hard to see the past them. Obviously, like, obviously, I'm GB all through and through and supporting the boys. But it's just that for G inside and and how much obviously these these big games mean to them. Um, it obviously helps. You know, it, even though looking at their team, Joe Two Wise, the I think he's the only one, the only one yeah. from the last games to still be around. So it's it's not the same team as in the superstars that were brought in halfway through the season to train like a Nakarawa, Billy Mata, um, uh, Tui Sova and stuff like that. But they have managed to get arguably the best player in the world right now, Semi Randrandarin, which is terrifying for any other defences out there. Um, and so like the team they've got and, you know, this, the performances over the last two years definitely show that they can easily win a gold medal. It's just whether... Yeah, whether they can do it, whether they can stick to their guns, because when they don't work, it can suddenly be a 30-point win for the opposition. So a couple of points on this. The really interesting aspect of it is Japan. They're not obviously contenders at all. They're another team that are just happy to be there. But they've got two Fijians playing for them. And Kameli Soijima is 38 now, by the way, which is pretty amazing. But whenever you see Fiji play against other Fijians, and I've seen this firsthand with Damu Damu and Josh Dranui when they used to play against Fiji, it's war. Like, it is attritional, it's cheap shots, it's aggressive, it's it's actually quite frightening at times how much they gun for each other. The fear is yeah. that with this new, I say clamp down, but this new emphasis of the laws and strict regulations of how it's applied, if any Fijian gets a red card, which is highly likely and probable, sadly, with you know the nature of their defensive hits and how things are going, it could completely change their games. So there's going to be a massive emphasis on their discipline, which would be a silver light, you know, green light, sorry, for everyone else, thinking Fiji now have got a significant area to exploit and just essentially try and wind them up. So that is going to be really interesting. But if you look at it as a as a squad that they've selected, it is it's frightening. I mean, the power, yeah. size, and skill of this Fijian team. A Canaconda, he's like Mike Tyson's version of, of rugby. Like he, he could just kill you if he wanted to. So I think it's going to be really interesting how they do go about it because physically, no one will compete with Fiji, but psychologically, you've got a real edge against them. Yeah. And that's it. Like when I said, like if it doesn't go their way, suddenly they lose by 30 points, it can happen. And it's if they completely lose their minds, then it, they like, I've been in England sides where we've gone completely against the grain of where they've been in previous results and performances and beaten them by 40 points, which should never happen at that, that time. But it's, yeah, when they're on their day and, and when they're offloading and when they're enjoying it, having fun and their momentum's there, like it's it's devastating and it's it's just so hard to defend against. Um, another thing, having that, having Botitu back as well for the games is a massive, massive win for them because he's been awesome over the past seasons. What is the sanction for red cards in this Olympics? Like, how do you miss the next it's the game? Same, it's, What's the deal? Are you out of the tournament? Are you out of the tournament? It's the same Thursday? jurisdiction and panel as a world rugby sanctioned event. So instead of weeks, it's games. So if you get if you get a head contact, if you get a shoulder to the head, entry point six weeks mitigation 50 percent uh, three games. So potentially. They could still be in the tournament, um, but there'll be some serious fretting around 
probably representation more than anything else. So I've had a few QCs on, on the old speed dial. Risky stuff. Well, like on Randrandra, interesting story. I was announcing for the Super 7 series in the UK at Newbury Rugby Club like a few weeks ago. So you've got teams like Samurai, Ramblin' Jesters, Wooden Spoon Marauders, famous teams in the UK for anyone who isn't from the UK who play on the Invitational Circuit um, over here. And it's where like a lot of players develop. You would have played like Samurai, Rory, Ubix. Yeah. I'm sure at yeah. some stage you would, play, you would play for one of these teams. And it's very much, it's pretty much the pathway if you want to play for England, I'd say, because there isn't a domestic league or anything like that. Anyway, Semi Randrandra turned out for Wooden Spoon Marauders at Newbury Rugby Club uh, in the Super 7 series. And he won the plate, didn't even win the cup, won the plate. <laughs> but it was so awesome. Apparently he had a GPS in his boot and he was on limited minutes and distance that he was allowed to cover um, in accordance with Fiji's demands. So he got some minutes under his belt running around against a load of uni students hopped on a plane and went straight to Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, there's a few people putting screenshots of team sheets. In fact, you might have sent it, Benzie. It was like, who's, someone's just taking yeah. the piss going, if you're going to put yourself as any name of a sevens player, <laughs> put Dan Semi around. I thought nothing of it going, and I'll say, some clowns be funny there, yeah. Rather than A another. Do, do, they, uh, do, they, do they need like, what What's it like bringing in a 15s player into the sevens setup? Because it can be a disruptive quality because... Sevens players might miss out and say, hey, we've been working towards this for two years. Is he that much better that I need to lose my place? Is there going to be grievances in that Fijian squad as a result? Obviously, he's class, but just thinking about, about it from another angle. You're thinking about it from a Western yeah. angle. End of the day, every decision in Fiji is God's will, isn't it? So I'm sure they, um, <laughs> they'll do miss that pretty quick. He's also the best player on the planet. So let's, let's not make it seem as though he's some sort of rogue that's just popped in. It's, it's a guy that can yeah. win you a gold medal. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like when you get it right, it's it's a masterpiece. But it's 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 whether he could get because he's not conditioned to the sevens at the moment. He might get injured first game and be out of the tournament. And then there's something like Jesus, what have we done? Like, I remember it last, yeah, World World Cup where they brought in Randranda, they brought in Tuisova, and they dropped Aroni Sal, who was their like blockbuster winger throughout that season. And like you were thinking about how the hell have they dropped him? And they came in. A, I don't. I think they, they knock out in the quarterfinals, maybe. They got knocked out in the quarterfinals, but they, yeah, they didn't even make it through that. So, like, it shows that it doesn't always work. Um, that, I think that's where Ben Ryan and that Fiji team got it right so like so well last time, is that they had these players for, like, three to four months leading up to the Olympics, and they actually prop... I think Nakarawa, there's a story of Nakarawa losing 20 kilos before Rio. Which is like, Jesus, it's a lot of work. Um, all right, what about Canada. I think this is the real swan song for Canada, isn't it? They've got so many veterans in that team that they probably see this as the, as the last bit of their journey, which it can be galvanising, but at the same time, they seem so disrupted. In that, I know everyone's been disrupted, but in terms of the external factors as well going on there, they're coming to this with very little expectation. And again, they'll try and make that play in their favour. I imagine they might well push for qualification um, to the latter stages, but realistically, I think they're going to find it very difficult to to compete and, and that's where Japan will be absolutely focusing their effort. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like that there's been players there that have been sort of on this on the on the sevens legs for probably seven plus years. Um and it's definitely 
definitely their last big hit out. Um, I don't think I don't think there's enough firepower to really cause a threat to Fiji or Team GB. I think yeah, Japan would definitely be licking their lips, thinking that's one they're definitely going to go after to to get that qualification. Do you think Japan have got it in them then? I think they do. Looking at last Olympics, I think you know that the shot they put in there. I think it's obviously a completely different team. Um, but, and there's not as much of the surprise factor. There's probably people are more concerned about this time purely because of last time and it's it's in Tokyo itself. Um, but like looking at their team sheet, it's, there's obviously a few of the older blokes that have been there around, like like we said, uh, Soajima, Lotte Takiri. But then they've got, I think they've got, I'm, I'm pretty sure I played against this bloke when I was in New Zealand, Colin Burke, who used to be yeah, like a, a number Kiwi. eight yeah. in, for the Chiefs. And shooting. now he's been playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been playing fullback in 10 in the Japanese league. So he's <laughs> done a complete turnaround. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, to see how they go. Um, they are very, you know, when they when they play, they're a very passionate team um, and they're very well drilled. But it's whether, you know, whether it can come together on the week, on the days. It's, uh, it's probably important to say as well that Canada, I know that everyone's been disrupted and you mentioned it, Bix, but Canada have hardly played any rugby. Like in terms of, against other international opposition, their quarantine restrictions have been so strict in Canada that I think they've only managed to get across to Dubai for the tournament that they had out there in the desert. They weren't even allowed over to LA to play in the tournament that GB, USA and Argentina played in. I know they wanted to. Spoke to Nate Hiriyama. Oh, by the way, shout out to Nate Hiriyama, who is the flag bearer, flag bearer. Flag bearer for Canada, which is... Fucking awesome! What what a top what a top bloke, and how good is that to have a sevens player carrying the flag? And Sarah Harini, very true. Um, which brings us neatly onto Team GB. The floor is yours, boys. Go on, Vix. No, you you go, mate. This is your remit. You got the you got the I'll scars going, to prove it. I'll be going purely on emotion. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, I, I think it's it's always going to be tough after after this the year they've had. Um, obviously, with a lot of the you know the the English boys, I was going to say Welsh, um, but they didn't make it through into the final selection. But like uh, English boys, the Welsh boys losing their contracts, being sort of out of the job for four to six months before getting picked back up in the GB program. Um, but I think the massive the massive plus side is I I guess similar to this to what we had last time leading up is actually like we know all the teams that we're playing against and we know they've had their similar side on the World Series for the last few years but they they've never played against this squad before so I think it's that's almost surprise factor I know Rocky would have been trialing out a few different sort of uh, ways we want to attack ways we want to defend in the tournaments leading up and trying a few things so actually they won't have seen this finished article before. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think I think there was some, obviously some big, big selection calls, but a few swan songs in there for, you know, for the likes of potentially Mitch, Norts. Um, I don't know what Bibbs is going to do after this, but um, it's, it's going to be seriously exciting. And, and looking at some of the Scots that have been brought on, um, I think that they're quality player. I can't wait to see Max McFarlane go, whatever position he plays in. Um, but he's one of those that can be, pop up anywhere and just uh, and bring the game to light. Um, I love the love the look of Robbie Ferguson at, at sort of that playmaker 
playmaker position he could slot straight in. Um, and then looking back at the English boys, like Ollie Lindsay Hay didn't get as much game time. He was similar to me. We were we were chief water boys in the last Olympics. So I can't wait to him sort of set the world alight and him get loads of game time. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a punchy selection. Um, essentially, you've picked 13 players who are all backs. So they're thinking about doing things differently. Um, that's clever to do things differently. But knowing now how fundamental physicality is in the game of sevens, I would put a massive question against how you're going to combat a team who might well target you at the breakdown, which everyone does against GB or England or Wales or Scotland anyway. Um, so as interesting as that's going to go, I think when you play with pace and fitness and you know, you're trying to really up the tempo, you run the risk of, of just getting battered. And I think physically it's going to be very, very difficult for those players to get through maybe not six, but five incredibly intense games. And even the likes of, you know, Canada will be thinking, we're going to go route one on you. Um, so I, I fear a little bit for that. I obviously want to see them go well, mentioned about the Swan Song and how just incredible this journey has been. If anybody's been picking up the RFU's docos um, about the GB programme, it's just really powerful when you get a message like that. And, and like I said a few times, when you use it positively, it can be emphatic, but at the same time, the emotions in that changing room are going to be so, so severe. Yeah, and I agree with Vix in terms of in terms of the size wise. That's that's the one thing I was looking when obviously Phil Burgess uh, chose to retire sort of halfway through the training camp. Rich Carpenter doesn't get picked. Suddenly you go actually they're two of your more physical blokes. Like breakdown wise, you've got Ethan Waddleton who. He's an absolute nose at the breakdown. So hard. He's like a little kettlebell, so hard to move. But outside that, you look at the breakdown physicality. And then I'd say again, you look at the kickoff, which is so big in sevens. Like the kickoff game is like massive for, for possession. And, you know, without the likes of a De Carpentier or another guy in that mold, like in the last Olympics, it was Mark Robertson, James Robwell. You probably look at Harry Glover as their main threat, who is world-class at the kickoff, like no doubt, but it's how they use him. And I think they'll get the most joy out of putting him somewhere and actually kicking somewhere else. So they, they really mark up Glover and then go to the likes of AJ Davis or Dan Norton, who probably has the highest jump in world rugby, but um, is about, <laughs> about as stable as a flag in the wind. Perry Baker, Perry Baker <laughs> might have something to say about that, mate. I say what they need. Though. Oh, yeah. They true. need a really brilliant wiry big fast strong hybrid prop wing like will muir i mean that's exactly what will muir <laughs> the horse bring back the horse any messy rules i'd have you in you know that <laughs> um but yeah that that's the, that was my main thing like obviously the breakdown but you can't get away from kickoffs if, if you don't if, if you haven't got that nailed on like you can't escape that uh, it's, it's going to happen at some point so um, you know, hope, hopefully they've got it sorted and uh, back the process, but that'll be a massive, massive challenge for them. I know you mentioned it, and I'm glad you did, actually. Harry Glover has the potential to be one of the best rugby players on the planet. Like, I know Stadovat absolutely worldly signing him, but what, how no premiership team has gone, this guy has got real, I say potential, he's good enough now, to be honest, but he's gone to yeah. south of France, carved up, they've seen what he's, he can do. The most laid-back, chilled-out bloke, but what he can do with a rugby ball. I, I genuinely said this, and I've said this in comms a few times, his offloading skills 
are they're unmatched. I, I don't think when you watch Sonny Bill Williams and what he can do with the rugby ball, there is nothing that Harry cannot match and potentially even better. And you, you've trained with him more than I have, Ross, to be honest. But that that's not some sort of spiel. That that is is genuinely saying his offloading skills are just remarkable. Yeah, 100%. Like his, his hands are the size of saucepans. Like it's hard not to be able to grip the ball the way he does um, without them. But like, I think his, he's just kept on taking his game to a bigger and bigger and bigger level. Like I remember, so me and him joined the sevens at the same time. And he was, as you said, same characteristics, like laid back, chilled. Like he could be told off. And like, as soon as the coach turned away, he'd look at you and be like, and you can like fuck off. Like, I'm trying to get a new contract here, mate. I'm I'm listening. <laughs> he couldn't give he couldn't give a toss. Like, and he went. I think he went away to uni. He was still on like a uni contract with the sevens. Went away to uni, drank a shitload of beer and alcohol, got fat, came back, and was somehow like ten times the player he was. I was like, how the hell is that fair? I was like, I've been grafting here for two years, and you've come back not care in the world and you're suddenly so much better than me did he, and he, he, he yeah he won and the he, fitness test as well didn't he on the back of been on the piss, yeah you know? oh, one of the fittest blokes i've ever seen and just wouldn't do your training session on his own in his life that's, um that's but like, i think over lockdown like didn't do anything for about two months and then ran an 18 minute 5k i was like you're such a bell end <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, as we said like he's he is world class like uh he he pretty much took us all the way to the final in um, in San Francisco, the World Cup, my last tournament. And even since then, he's just got better and better every year. And it's funny, every team labels him out, like especially in the kickoff area, like there's Glover, there's Glover, we'll pot against him and he'll still win it back. So it's it's amazing how how far he's come. And I'm, I'm so happy for him, but I'm, I'm just hoping he can just keep pushing it and keep pushing it. Can I just, just jump in there that? You didn't start the program at the same time because your first inroads into the sevens was the, <laughs> was the Safari Sevens in Kenya, and for a week throughout that cup tournament, turning around to the coaches, going, "Who is this competition winner? Where have you got him from? And what is he doing with the squad?" Because you were without doubt the worst sevens player I've seen. You obviously came good, mate, which is great. You, you even put your hand up to be able to take the restarts and wouldn't get the ball off the floor. <laughs> So we're in Kenya. And when I did, it went into the stand. Well, yeah, yeah, it was like five consecutive restarts just going out on the floor or just dribbling on the floor. And I said to Russell Earnshaw at the time going, is this some sort of joke? I think I got brought on as like a prop or a centre. And then suddenly we had like three dropouts in the last two days. And they're like, oh, Rory, you can play 10, you can kick. I was like, well, I'm not going to say no. I was like, yeah, I might as well try. And then, uh, yeah, I missed every kickoff. Missed every conversion I had to take, and then yeah, was never never spoken to for another two years after that. Yeah, well, Alan Partridge, mate. Needless to say, you had the last laugh. <laughs> the last laugh, right? But right, boys, to wrap up, Paul B. What are we saying? Fiji and GB getting out, and who out of Canada and Japan? Which one? Whoa. I'm, I'm going to go with Japan. Yeah, I was going to say Japan. I think uh, the way that they can perform i actually think it'll help them not having a crowd there because they're very anxious uh, bunch of people often and, and seeing the 15s team when there was a full crowd in the stadium didn't help them at all really um whilst they performed admirably they were shot to pieces before and after it so i think i'd go for japan as well i don't know they went they went all right in the 15s world cup out no here. no no they went well so... i'm saying they performed well but you could see the genuine fear before and then subsequently after the game. Uh, and Jamie Joseph said yeah. it himself, that if they could have a choice of not necessarily going through that emotion, 
they would have done. But that's obviously not a factor. So I think they look good. Yeah, they've they've also got a few big big players. Um, I know we spoke about a couple of the Fijians, but I think it is Jose. I don't know is actually is it Joseve or Jose Seru? Oh my gosh, he is massive. Just squeeze and that he's, back he's into still the quite. Bit, yeah, yeah, and he's still quite um, a bit of an unknown quantity on the World Series. Like he does a lot of fifteens, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I think they could be very worrying if if they hit all their straps. Last but not least, Paul C and. This this is our group of death, isn't it? This is the group of death. Hensy, stop so that's pushing like a, groups of death. I'm building the jeopardy. I'm building the, the jeopardy. South Africa, USA, Kenya, Ireland, and I can't wait for when you're a bit flummoxed for your words, Vix, on commentary, and you describe Paul C as the group of death. I'm planting the seed right here, right now. <laughs> Probably not allowed to use the word <laughs> death, to be honest. The way they're broadcasting is, but. Fair play, mate. Of all Probably the pools, not. of all the pools, this is mouthwatering, isn't it? Yeah, this is this is this is the one. This is the one. I mean, there are four good teams who come out of this. I am still struggling to figure out who's going to become first, second, third, or fourth in it. Like I, I can honestly see potentially apart from Kenya, anyone topping that group. I think Kenya can have some very good games, but can also completely switch off. Um, and it can really count against them. But the uh, the other three, like like you look at it, you look at how well Ireland have just come on and keep getting better and keep getting better. And some of their like some of their firepower they've got, um, you know, like Jordan Conray, uh, Greg O'Shea, Billy Dardis, they're always going to get like the highlights and, and people are going to talk about them. But like I I hadn't really paid much attention to Terry Kennedy until this sort of past year, and. Jesus, like he's class. He's so good, and like you just keep seeing more and more of different some of their different players, and you're like, these guys could be, these guys could be world beaters. Like on their day, they could be anyone in the tournament. What about their physicality? Because there's some big specimens in the other three teams in there. Kenya, obviously, USA have got big bruisers, and South Africa aren't shy either. Can Ireland mix it with those three? I think they can. I, th- I think they can. It's obviously. It's not their go-to. It's not what. It's not why they're successful. But I don't think I don't look at Ireland. And go, they're not a very physical team. I think they can definitely pack a punch. Um, so yeah, it's it's obviously surviving that sort of physical onslaught that they're going to get. Especially like Kenya in the breakdown, they just go hard after every every breakdown they can. South Africa notoriously hard. USA have got they've got their big boys, but I I, I do think Ireland can be very successful. Well, having watched a fair bit of USA in the last three or four months in, in their St. George's and then subsequently the LA Sevens, they're actually probably a little bit concerned about this group because they have not been playing well. They were absolutely shocking at St. George's Park. Ireland put 40 points on them. Um, that'll be in the back of both their minds. You know, there'll be the Irish there thinking we've got nothing to fear here. We've got no expectations. We're qualified as the 12th ranked team. I really like Ireland. I said after the after Monaco, I wouldn't be surprised if they got a medal. They're that good. Um, physicality, not a problem for them. They're really good over the ball. They, they play to their systems incredibly well. And they've got the thing that everybody in the world wants in sevens. They've got pace. And Kennedy-Conroy, um, those as a combination, they're, they're right up there. So I'm, I'm excited to see how Ireland go. Mate, Con- Conroy, is just his speed is unreal. The try that he scored in that repechage final against France, when he went through the two players, one of them was Siega, yeah. who is rapid himself, and they didn't even get a fingerprint on it. It was like the balls to go through that gap 
then for them to not even get a shred of DNA on it Mate, the, was unreal. The, the preceding element to that, which was why it was so special to watch, he hadn't touched the ball for five minutes. He was coiled, <laughs> got it, and just went, there is nothing else that I'm going to do here. And you know when you play small games and they get some sort of turbo mode and they start like the, the fire starts burning behind them, you could physically see that representation manifest. <laughs> he was just not being stopped. Like Mario transformed himself 10 times bigger, just plowing through. It was a brilliant game. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that, that's how I, I, I could see Ireland top in the group. And as you said, Vic's getting a medal. I think USA on their day, when they're, you know, when they're on form, they're attacking the line, they're playing flat, long passes, get it to the edge and keep just slowly bending teams, bending teams and making you over chase. And then eventually burning you with their one of their two superstar wingers. Um, but they they do have to be on their on their game to do that. I think once you knock him off that, I don't think their plan B is good enough. I think they stick to their system and their system works when it does work. But when they, when they're knocked out of it, I I feel they get a bit flustered and and they start getting a bit angry. You know, if you Danny Barrett, if you get into his head, that's the main thing that you want to do because you don't want him to be firing all shots because the man's got granite in his blood. Um, but yeah, I, as Vic said, I think they are, their form hasn't been that good. And in the past, they haven't performed well on the big stage in, the, in these big tournaments. So that will definitely be something in the back of their mind again. Um, but they're so dangerous. They're like The players they have, they are so, so dangerous. How, how big a loss do you reckon Ben Pinkelman is for the States? I think that he's a player who doesn't get enough headlines or enough column inches, however you want to put it. But I feel that him not going is going to be significant for them and their impacts around the field. Yeah, and they're a team that rely on individuals like that. You saw when they lost Falau, how, how significant it was for their whole season. I would say, though, in Brett Thompson coming in, they have very much an enabled replacement. And he, after a couple of shocking knee injuries, really unfortunate, um, back-to-back for him, He's going to come in and know that there's that pressure to do Pinkelman's role, which he actually does. I think the fear with the USA is when they lost a playmaker, they have no one to fulfil that role. So I think USA, as Raw said, and as a really good way of summarising, will have to be absolutely on it for every single one of those games. And as everybody knows who watches sevens, that's quite a difficult thing to do. Speaking of physicality, should we go to the team with the sweetest training threads at the Olympics. Have you seen the Kenyans stash? It is incroyable. I mean, if you think the new Fiji Nike tops are good, take a look at any of the Fijian boys' instas and oh, it's, it's to die for. It is class, isn't it? I saw Billy Odiambo <laughs> put up a photo the other day and I was like, that's that's cool. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I wish GB would like do something a bit crazy, but it just, I just don't think it would suit us at all. I don't think people would look at them nah. and go, no, that's a bit weird. Yeah, I haven't got 25 <laughs> kilograms too short, got, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't got the dance moves either. All I've seen for the Kenyan boys is them just dancing around their training ground. I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't seen any code being played yet, but I mean... You know, what can the Kenyans do out here? They can do something, obviously. Can I just clarify on the key? Yeah, the- Are you talking about the one that looks like those, uh, what is it, the Irish Causeway, like those grid things on their shirts or like the actual plane shirts? I'm talking about the pink one that is, it's like the same pattern as like the Dutch football jersey from when like yeah. Johan Cruyff 90s and 80s. They're not playing in yeah, those, are they, like- sadly? They should do. They should. Yeah. They should petition for a change for the Olympics. They're so good. 
<laughs> any Kenyan any Kenyan players listening in? I know that William Backer listens. Jumble. Could you put could you put your jersey in a very, very hot wash so it can maybe fit me and then send it over? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think you look at their you look at their side, they've got they don't have massive amounts of experience. Um what from I've got it up here, the, the last Olympics, William Backer, Andrew Monday, Collins and Jira, the only guys that have sort of still in the side since then. Collins and Juris has been here since, I don't know, early 2000s, before Vix was playing, I think. And he just, just keeps pumping out performances. Um, but no, it's, it, it'll be tough for them. It'll, be, it'll definitely be tough for them. But, you know, the physicality they bring, and like, I remember when we've got on the wrong side of Kenya in the past, like it's because we've just been absolutely dominated in the breakdown. And they've just made it as messy as possible. And then they'll be able to ship it wide. They've got their fast big boys on the edge um, and they can make it very, very difficult. And, and actually something that they don't probably get praised to enough is probably their offloading skills and keeping the ball alive when they've got it. Like defence, they'll go at the breakdown, but when they've got it in attack, they'll keep it away from their breakdowns and almost just try and keep that ball alive and just knack you out. Um, so yeah, very difficult team to beat, but um, it is tough to see them yeah, coming out on top in a group like that. And then finally, well, it's interesting, South Africa. So the 2016 Rio Olympics, they came in, I would say, as one of the big overriding favourites. And they, by their own admission, probably would have left disappointed with a bronze medal. It's a slightly different feel. And bearing in mind how well they did in the World Series, I don't feel that there is quite as much buzz around them. And you touched on it earlier, Rory, about... Brown, Snayman not being there. But let's talk about some of the other players who aren't there. Obviously, Cecil Africa, he's retired. But from the more recent superstars, Werner Koch, Roscoe Speckman, Sanatla, they have all decided to continue playing 15s in South Africa. In fact, Speckman got picked in the extended Springbok squad because he wanted to play against the Lions. So they're enormous players to not have there. Uh, they've obviously had their COVID complications. It's it's a funny one. Like I'm I'm not I'm not excited. I don't feel like fearful of South Africa, but maybe I'm an idiot. And you're also not playing, mate, so you don't need to fear them. <laughs> mate, I live and breathe these games when I'm watching. Um, yeah, go, I I think it's it's definitely going to be tough for them. And you also like you miss out Quagga Smith there. Like how important he has been for them over the over the years. Obviously now concentrating more on 15s, um, but like some of those names were. Was, were tournament winners for them like Sanatla like how good was he for sort of four years just just scoring I know Norts was absolutely terrified of him catching his like try scoring record and he'd only played half the years as Norts had done um, so it's yeah it's it is tough missing all of them they've still got like they've still got a Justin Cadold they got Branco Dupree so they, they've I missed them out early they still have got that bit of experience in there but um that actually when they've done well in the past is i remember a few years ago it was a hong kong some side sent their second team south africa sent the side that like people had hardly ever heard of and then ended up winning the tournament or cut or losing in the final i think um and like they have the ability similar to new zealand to just bring in players that can just slot in seamlessly um and be world beaters so it, it'll be interesting seeing how they go i think you know the three Davids that they've got are all, all bring something different. But like, I remember trying to defend against Selwyn Davids and just thought he was out and out pace, like just terrifying. Um, but like, 
I, I just think they have to, they've got to bring their A game similar to USA every game. They can't just rely on their big, big names as they, they have in the past. Yeah, it's quite disappointing, isn't it? When you think about South Africa not having Bernard Koch, Quagga, Speckman, Sonatla, because that that is a that's a fearsome team to play against. I, I absolutely agree with you, Bernsey. I don't think they are as feared anymore. And then just thinking about not only their pool, but if they do progress, if they finish second in their pool, then they're playing um, second in pool B. So again, these games are going to be thick and fast. So I, th- I think that might be too much for them and the emotional cost of losing your coach as well. I think that might be quite detrimental to them. So what are we saying out of those three? I genuinely think Ireland can top the group. Yeah. I think USA don't make it. Mm. I think yeah, the Kenya USA game is gonna be it's gonna be a big one, that. And Mike Friday. Is that first up? Uh good question. I'm just checking out South Africa, Ireland. Yeah, USA, Kenya. Jeez, that's gonna be huge. Mm. That is massive. That is massive. Yeah. All right, then. So that's the that's the pool's done. Give us give us your winner, boys, and give us your dark horse. Um, can I go emotionally, GB? Emotionally, Logic- GB. Yeah. Logically, I think New Zealand. Mm. Um, and my dark horse, dark horse. I, I I might I might even go Ireland. I reckon you stolen Vixes here. Vix, yeah, probably. But um, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm really overanalyzing this now shock horror but looking at the pools and then the draws <laughs> the worst the worst thing for gb is if they qualify in second which i assume they will if they do qualify because i can't see being fiji they're playing c2 which might well be south africa which will not be a good game for them to play in. so i mm. think even though emotively you know i, I would suggest that gb just for what they've been through would be a really good story i just can't see that happening Fiji, if they manage to keep a squad of 13 players, they will not be beaten. But the chances of that are very, very slim. So I do actually concur with Rory. I think New Zealand for the gold and then Ireland for a bronze, potentially, which is a very exciting thing to say. Because Yeah, you say dark horse. I'm like, I keep looking at the teams and actually you look at the, the groups like A to C, the top two in each group, would they, apart, maybe apart from GB and Australia, would they be considered dark horses or would they be considered in those top favourites? Like if South Africa won, would they be classed as a dark horse? I don't know. More caramel stallions. <laughs> uh, well, look, just, just to mix things up, I, I'm going Fiji and Argentina as my dark horse. Yeah, that's, that's a fair, fair share. My ca- that's as, a fair as share. my caramel, as my caramel stallion. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Yeah, that's worse than your shirt. <laughs> and that t- that takes some beating. Bernsey, we got to get you on comms, haven't we? Let's be honest. You're out here. You've done nothing yet. Might as well put you to use with some perlers like that. Hey, fix you and I. I don't know if microphones have been invented yet that can handle that sort of power together at once down the same XLR. Yeah, it was one of those. Like, yeah, viewership was massive. You know, we talk about Olympics, and suddenly these guys started talking, and it just plummeted. <laughs> <laughs> um, Caramel right, stallion! I think, uh, oh my god! <laughs> Group of death, Caramel stallions. We we got to come up with a few more phrases, and you've got to get into the Olympic feeds. 
Fix. What, and never be used again. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> hey, man, never never get comfortable. You've always got to be taking risks and experimenting. Oh, it's I've got a surprise for you guys. It's hey. Olympian, Hi. Abby Burton. That's a massive surprise. You're topping your Yorkshire quota as well. I am. Well, welcome, Bert. Well, yeah, we've we, we've done a pod behind your back and we've just done all the men's pools and I kept it as a surprise for the boys that you're coming on. How are you, Bert? Give us the inside scoop from Tokyo Olympics from a player. Yeah, I'm good. I'm all good. It is hot. I say that for a fact. But other than that, great vibes. Seen loads of famous people. Like I've seen, um, I saw Dean Rasha Smith today at the track. Who else have seen? I've seen, yeah, I know, so mega. And then um, I've seen who else have seen uh, the the Afili sisters, um, the hurdlers, the hundred meter hurdlers. Um, I saw Matt Whitlock walking topless down our corridor. Always, always a ple- always a pleasant <laughs> sight to see. And I've seen Tom Daly as well. And I was just like, oh. And the thing is. These people you watch on telly, they always look so much bigger than what they are. And like, I was a mountain compared to Tom Daly and Max Whitlock. And I was like, you're so small, actually, in real life. And it was real shocking. But, but yeah, those are the famous people I've seen so far. Um, but, like, Team GB, like, even though we can't leave the hotel, Team GB have just been class. Like, so, so class. Like, they just put everything on for you transport you everywhere you need to go to training and stuff and they just make it feel like you you're in Japan but you're not in Japan at the same time like it's a really good home home vibe home vibe but nice it's all around good vibe when do you go into the village Bert? tomorrow I can't wait I can't wait I literally can't wait I'm going to be swapping so many of my pins with so many people I'm like <laughs> give me your pin <laughs> give me your pin please um, you should have just nicked Tom Daly's. Just like, just oh, give me that, you little rat. <laughs> <laughs> give me it, give me it now. Um, yeah, can oh. you can you talk it? Can you talk us through the the pins and athlete swapping pins? I've seen it on Instagram. Yeah, so like I think before, from what I've heard, people just go up and swap their pins, but because of COVID, the there's an app called Athlete Athlete Three Six Five, and it's kind of a bit like Pokemon Go. If anyone's ever played that. <laughs> and you like well, walk around and, yeah and you've got to and you go to certain places and you get pins but I think I actually want to swap pins with people I don't want to do it that way but you know with COVID I don't, I don't think I'll be allowed I think if anyone sees me wandering off like where are you going I'll be like I want to swap my pins um but I think it's a cool way for them to do it to be fair like a bit of Pokemon Go sit show um but I've seen some of the, the boys uh like Harry, Harry McNulty, one of the um, Island boys, putting on his Instagram story about I've got all these different pins and I've got pin FOMO. I'm pin jealous. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is cool. Some of the rogue pins that are out there as well. So yeah. fun. Oh, I honestly can't wait. It's, my, it's the thing that I'm most excited about, going to swap pins with people. <laughs> uh, Why is that the most excited I think I've got. I think I'm feeling you got the, they're doing the Olympics wrong. Um, look, <laughs> Rawls, you, you you've got you've got to get off. Thank you very much for your experiential wisdom that you've imparted on us. You're going to come back and join us over the Olympics. Of course, can't wait. Good man. Mm. Good man. See you, Paul.
Right, thanks so much to Vix and Rory. Pretty comprehensive rundown of the pools and what we can ex- look to expect come Monday for the men's competition. We do have a few technical problems, so those boys have shot off. But I am delighted to say that I've got Bert in the house, up in seventh heaven where she belongs. Bert, you're at the Olympics. I am. Hello, Burnley. I am at the <laughs> Oh, can you believe it? I'm currently, like, sat looking out the window at Tokyo. Unreal. Unreal. How good. How good. So how's camp? How are the girls? Yeah, like, you know what? There's just, like, such great vibes around camp at the moment. Even though we're not allowed to go out and explore Tokyo, so it's a bit different to what the usual Olympics would have, will have been like, we can go to the track, like, twice a day to go to our training bases. And training's going really well at the moment. Like, where we had our big rugby session today, lo and behold, Bertie struggled with the heat a little bit. As usual, she always struggles with the heat. But, like, we're getting what we need to get out of training. Like, it's not about us trying to make up something new now, trying to, we're just trying to refine things, getting things done. So, yeah, well, I think we're, we're, in a, we're in a good place. We're in a good place to go into the village tomorrow. Um, we've all got good vibes. There's good vibes around camp. So we're all just excited to just actually play now. Um, that's what we're all waiting for. Do you know what? I've been looking at your stories and all the other girls' stories. And like, it's not just about arriving in Tokyo, is it? It's like the journey. I know that you've obviously been on the journey to be selected, but, you know, it's leaving Loughborough, it's the flights, it's going to your initial training base. And then when are you off to the village? You're off to the village soon. Yeah, we're off to the village tomorrow. So we've got a big, big rugby session in the morning and then literally come back and get off get off to the village, which is, I'm so excited. I can't wait. Like, I've been... Uh, I feel like I, I've maybe ruined it for myself because I keep looking at everyone's Instagram stories and like looking at everything that's going on in the village and what everyone's getting on their beds and I'm trying to refrain myself from watching everything. Um, but it is, it's about the journey and the next bit in our journey is to get into the village and then we can proper switch on just to get ready to, to go do the job, go do, go to work. Go do the job. Who are you rooming with out there? So I'm rooming with Emmy Ren at the moment. Um, one of the fellow English girls. And then when I get to the village, I believe I am sharing with Celia Kwanza, my fellow waspy. Um, so, yeah, but I think when we get to the village, we're in apartments. So we've got like a few people in the same area, which I've never done before. So that will be a new experience. Now, are there, is there anyone that you're like, please don't remove them? Like, criminal snorers you know disgusting habits you know what I would say that that people think that about me because I snore really bad (laughs) (laughs) but like I I, I'll literally room with anybody I don't I really don't care I'll room with anybody but like certain people can't room with me because I I heavy breathe I've got asthma like I'm a snorer get over it but some of the girls don't like it so I'd say that's me I'm that person. <laughs> we got a few technical issues, so we'll keep it short and sweet. You said you're ready to go to work. You know who's going to pull. What do you think about the teams that you've got ahead of you? Yeah, like in our pool, we have New Zealand, Russia and Kenya. And 
like the, the the feel around camp and the chat that we've had like we're prepared to take those take those teams on um we've obviously played New Zealand so many times and the same with Russia and then also as well like watching how Kenya play I personally never played against Kenya but like all these teams we've we've analyzed so deeply now that we we all believe that we can go and win all of our pools like pool games which like going into some tournaments you might not necessarily have that feel around camp that will will beat certain teams but actually the buy-in that we have in this tournament is that we are going out there and we're going to beat these teams to to get ourselves in the best place possible come quarterfinals and that's what we want to do um and that we all believe we can do that as well um we obviously respect all of these teams every single team that's come to the olympics we respect them all but as soon as you put a shirt on against them you can respect them, but you don't put them above you. Um, and that's a big thing. Like, we don't put any team above us. Like, we are there to win it, but we're also there to lose it. So it's all on us for that, not on anybody else. Well, I am officially excited for the Olympics to start. <laughs> that is a Churchillian speech from you there, Bert. Look, <laughs> we're, we're struggling with the technicals and I don't want to take your focus away from the job in hand, but Amazing to see you. Amazing to speak to you. Wish you all the best out there, Bert. And I know that me and all of the Seventh Heaven listenership are going to be rooting for you. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Right. That about wraps it up for another episode of your Celestial One Stop Pod for all things Rugby Sevens. My huge, huge thanks to Rob Vickerman and Rory McConaughey for being so forensic in their analysis of the pools for the men's Olympic competition. Glorious to have Bert come and join us for a quick snippet. Until next time, it is adios. Peace out.